The emergence of COVID-19 has forced the legal industry to rapidly undergo a fundamental transformation. I'm Jack Newton, CEO and co-founder of Clio, the world's leading cloud-based legal software provider. In each episode of Daily Matters, we'll explore what this new normal means for law firms, how legal professionals can find success while working remotely, and how lawyers can best serve their clients during this unprecedented situation. Today's guest is Chris Grunke, principal at CPN Legal, which specializes in law firm accounting and bookkeeping. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Chris, first of all, how are you and your family doing? Uh, we're, we're doing very well. Thank you for asking. Uh, it's been, a uh, like everyone, an interesting couple of months, but uh, uh, things are well here in Cincinnati. That's, uh, that's great, and I'm, I'm so glad to, to hear that. And in, in these uncertain times, I'm curious, what is most on your mind right now? Well, you know, um, in our world, uh, we are empty nesters, so we aren't challenged with the uh, having to be school teachers as well as professionals at the same time. So, I, I envy uh, you for that. Yeah, I, 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 uh, my heart goes out to everybody who's doing both. Um, so really, uh, it's been a time where we've been very focused on the business and on trying to help our clients uh, navigate through the financial parts of the whole situation that's going on. That's great. And, and would love to dig there a little, bit, uh, a little bit more. Can you tell us a little bit more about the work that CPN Legal does in general and in particular how you work with companies like Clio, Amicus Attorney, and QuickBooks? Sure. Uh, so our business, we, we do bookkeeping for uh, small to mid-sized law firms on an outsourced basis. Uh, we're located in Cincinnati. Our clients are all over the country, a few in Canada. Uh, and, you know, really we built our practice around the intersection of Clio and QuickBooks. So we've become uh, very adept at making those two pieces of software work together and getting that Clio sync to QuickBooks set up in a way that really has a lot of controls around it and really produces financial reports on the QuickBooks side and ties Clio into your banking activity. So that's kind of that's kind of what we specialize in. And then uh, as we meet up with clients, uh, they oftentimes retain us to get that started, but then we end up kind of becoming their virtual bookkeeping, virtual invoicing uh, service. That's, uh, that's really interesting. So when, when you're working with firms in this mode, you don't require physical access to their office or you, you don't need to sit down beside them in person. You're doing this all on a completely remote basis. Uh, virtually all of our clients are, are outside of Cincinnati. Yeah. So we, okay. we've got a few in town, um, you know, probably, 95 plus percent are not in Cincinnati. Uh, we do everything with, uh, you know, and probably 98 of our client percent of our clients are, um, are Clio. So, you know, they're used to working in the cloud. We're used to working in the cloud. It's QuickBooks online. Uh, we, uh, we do everything, everything that way. And, and to talk about the Clio and QuickBooks connection for, for a few minutes, uh, I'm, I'm curious, what do you see as the, the common pitfalls there, or or what are the what are some of the aspects of getting the Clio and QuickBooks relationship off to a good start? Is maybe a different way of uh, of framing it. Yeah. So um, the 
the sink itself works really well. So it's very, it's very smooth to take the information in Clio and have it push over into QuickBooks. The real uh, struggle that most people face is really not getting the, the accounts in QuickBooks set up properly and then not kind of syncing things into the right place in QuickBooks right. in a way that lets you tie back to what's really happening at the bank and then be able to kind of keep QuickBooks in order when Clio is continuing to put more information in there. Right. Yeah, I think that's an important point. Uh, unlike some other syncs, like maybe Google Calendar, for example, that's just kind of a fire and forget. You set it up and there's really no setup to be done beyond just turning it on. Uh, QuickBooks uh, is really a matter of, of doing some advanced planning and what you're going to sync, how you're going to map the data, and that, that sets you up with a a strong foundation for success, and and, and we'll we'll leave that topic there. I I, I want it, our listeners to know though, if that's a an integration they're struggling with, CPN Legal is a, a great place to to go if if you need support. Um, the other place we've been working with uh, with you and Peggy Chris is uh, on the navigating the government programs uh, that are available to small businesses and small law firms uh, amidst the, the COVID-19 crisis. Can you tell us a little bit more about the work you've been doing on that front? Sure. So um, we focused uh, with, with the Clio team, uh, you know, we've, be, we've put on uh, a, a few uh, webinars now and we've got a couple more coming up uh, really just to uh, provide a forum for people who have questions about it or who are stuck in some place and and wanting to get a wanting to get a little bit of a hand on you know where can I turn next uh, for our clients uh, the background for that I guess is really uh, for our clients we've helped them go through two of the main government programs towards the size of business that that encompasses our client base. And that's, uh, there's a, an economic injury from disaster loan, and there's the Paycheck Protection Program. And those are two parts of what's called the CARES Act, which was the big right. $2 trillion dollar, uh, legislation from about a month or a month and a half ago. Uh, and they work a little bit differently, but as always with those things, they, they, are, they are, just in case people aren't aware, they are loans that can be forgiven. Uh, so it's a way to the, the U.S. government wanted to find a way to encourage small businesses to maintain their staffing levels. And so the notion is if we could bridge this gap while everybody is uh, quarantined or, or, you know, while the while business is so disruptive that it would be able to come back quickly. So mm -hmm. they they set up this program that then says you know, here, we'll, we'll loan you money to keep people on payroll. And if you do that, then we will forgive that loan. And it will end up being, you know, a grant, basically, that just helped you through as a small business to maintain your payroll. So there are like all such programs, a lot of ins and outs, and there are criteria you have to meet, and you have to check certain boxes. And so really, that's where a lot of my time has been spent over the past month, is helping our clients understand those things and then setting up the, the kind of tracking processes and the, and the things that we need to do to, 
to A, get people applied and approved, and then B, to make sure that they are working their way towards that spot in a couple of months from now when they could ask the bank to forgive those loans because they've followed the intentions of the program. Right. So these are two, I mean, really unprecedented in human history programs that the, the government has has rolled out. I don't think we've we've ever seen, certainly not in my lifetime, any kind of aid going out to small businesses on this scale that it is with the uh, with the CARES Act. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious, you know, the the headlines around these programs have been um, very hard to keep track of. There's been so much rapid change. Uh, you know, you read on one day about the, the CARES Act, uh, you know, being approved by Congress, the, the PPP program going live and then swiftly running out of funds, you know, a few days afterwards and so on. Can, can you just tell us a little bit about from your perspective where you've been very close to this, how you've seen uh, the, the evolution of these programs and maybe some of the speed bumps they've, they've hit along the way? So I think the headlines are pretty reflective of the entire gamut of the experience we've had with the PPP. You know, on the, on the one hand, uh, there were a lot of times when people couldn't get onto the website or when the banks were trying to submit things to the SBA and they were unable to get onto the SBA website. And so there's, there's all kinds of fodder for like the what went wrongs. Right. Um, but there's also like the, incredible amount of loans that have actually gotten out the door when you compare that to, uh, you know, the kind of business as usual, small business administration loan programs. And, right. and you occasionally, you occasionally hear those headlines. I wish we'd maybe hear a few more of those because it, it actually is quite stunning what they've been able to accomplish and that they've gotten money into so many businesses hands. And sometimes that may not sell as many newspapers as hearing about the, you know, the tragic side of things. And, and trust me, there's plenty of the tragic side of things to go around. But, um, you know, we've probably had, I'm going to say maybe 75% of our clients actually have received funds. Um, we've got, That's phenomenal. You know, yeah, it's, it's amazing. And, uh, and there are, you know, in, in our world, they're funds that are needed. I mean, they are, they're, everybody's at, uh, you know, when the courts are closed and a lawyer can't practice, uh, you know, you start wondering, you know, maybe not for today because you are working on some current matter, but for tomorrow and next month, uh, you have to be looking at the, you know, looking at the not too distant horizon to start seeing, you know, some real challenges. Uh, and for some folks that are 100% court driven, those challenges happened auto, almost immediately. So the fact that they were able to get funds and able to retain their employees is, uh, I mean, it's really quite special. So it's been kind of, kind of uh, great to be able to be helping them along that path. Yeah, and uh, fully agree. I, I think that's uh, a great thing to hear. And I, I think what you're commenting on contrasts pretty strongly with some of the headlines out there, like, like you said, that are maybe good for selling newspapers, but they induce a little bit of a sense of, I think in many people, defeatism where, where they, they don't even try applying for these programs because they hear uh, the stories about how the, the funds getting exhausted or got exhausted. Uh, they, they, they read the headlines about how that seems like there's this preferential 
you know, and, and potentially a backroom dealing going on where maybe the wrong folks are, are getting these grants, but, but you're seeing success with three quarters of your clients that have applied. And these are, these are the Ma and Pa law firms of, of Main Street USA. They're, they're not connected right. politically in any way. They're, they're not pulling favors. Uh, you're not pulling any strings in the background. Is, is that fair to say? These are legitimate uh, one-off applications from people that, that don't have any special cheat code to access these programs. Yep, yep. I mean, we're talking about law firms. You know, our, our client base... Uh, you know, ranges from solos and, you know, up to firms that probably have, I don't know, 30 or 40 people in them, something like that. So, you know, we're not talking about mega companies or, or you know, the headline yep. producing uh, Shake Shack right, and right. Uh, Ruth's Chris and that kind of stuff. Uh, we're talking about entrepreneurs who have hung a shingle, uh, maybe with a few partners, and they're out there, you know, every day trying to figure it out and trying to keep their, you know, their staff cared for and employed and, and take care of their clients. And so, um, yeah, this is, this is, these are really the people that the, that the program was designed to help. Well, that's uh, very heartening news. And, and without talking about any specific clients, can you, can you just share generally what you're seeing in terms of the amount of relief being provided and, and maybe in turn, what kinds of commitments your clients are making to, uh, to receive those loans and, and then, you know, as you mentioned, downstream, making sure that they're, they're eligible to have those loans waived, essentially, and, and converted sure. into grants? Um, sure. So let me, uh, let me talk about the two programs a little bit independently. Sure. Uh, the, the one is the economic injury from a disaster. That loan program, uh, comes a part of that program is, is up to a $10,000 grant kind of immediately. This is part of what's been in place for disaster recovery for, for a long time through the SBA. So if you think about like a hurricane or a natural disaster, uh, the tornado sweeps through town and, and, you know, destroys all the buildings, that program, when, when you hear that, you know, the president declared such and such a disaster area, that kicks that program into into high gear and they try and help the businesses affected by that disaster. And th- uh, that's the EIDL that's program. That's the EIDL program and that's okay. directly through the SBA. Got it. Uh, in this case, uh, the, the distinction is all 50 states have been declared a disaster area relative right. to COVID. So that, you know, kind of made it available to everyone. I see. Uh, those funds, there really aren't a lot of uh, restrictions around, you know, because again, that's kind of like that natural disaster thing. So they don't, it wasn't really designed for staff retention as much as it was just like, wow, this tornado just hit and I need some help. Uh, Those funds, uh, those loan sizes are, uh, they tend to be, you know, in the, the, they max out, I should say, at $1,000 per employee with a maximum of $10,000. Okay. So what we see from that a lot is somebody's applied to the SBA. They put their, they put their, uh, fill out the information on the website. And then one day, a week or so later, there is a deposit from the SBA for $6,000 or $3,000. And it's like, that was the money from the EIDL. The PPP is a lot bigger, uh, endeavor. So there you actually apply to a bank, 
You have to do some payroll calculations to show how big of a payroll company you are and how much money would equate to two and a half months worth of your payroll. Mm -hmm. once, once you apply for that, the bank submits it to the SBA, the, the money comes into your, you, you sign a loan document and the, the money comes into your account. Um, in our world, we've seen those for probably as low as 15 or $20,000 and as high as uh, right around $400,000. Wow. Uh, Program-wise, as far as the PPP overall, uh, as you said, there have been two rounds of the PPP. So in the first, in the first tranche of funding, the average loan size was something like $206,000 across all businesses including the giant ones. Mm -hmm. and, and that program, by the way, had a max loan amount of $10 million. So, uh, you know, you could have some really big numbers skewing that. In this second round, they purposely tried to uh, gear things more and more towards the smaller businesses. They did that by a couple of things, uh, notably, they reserved funds for smaller lenders. So they, re they reserved a lot of the funds that the big banks couldn't touch and only things like you know, credit unions or small community banks could actually submit for those. So this round, the average so far, I think I just saw was 79,000. So that's a drop, you know, drop from 200 something down to 79 as an mm -hmm. average size loan. So yeah, a substantial drop. Though, yeah. Seems as though they've accomplished some of what they set out to do of of really trying to skew that towards the smaller businesses. And are are those funds still uh, available and and new applicants are being processed, Chris? Yeah, yeah. So the um, the second tranche of money was a total of three hundred and ten billion dollars, and the last numbers I saw were from uh, Sunday. And they had loaned out about 175 of that 310 billion. Okay. Um, obviously, there's a lot still in the pipeline and everything else. But it, you know, the our message to our clients or or to the folks who you know join us on these webinars is, I mean, as of right now, uh, it's not too late. So if you have not you know, gotten in there yet and you have not worked worked through the application process, uh, would and and if you need the you know, if, if, if you need the money to continue your payroll, uh, that we would encourage people to continue to apply. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like there's uh, a little more than half of the new fund that's been consumed, but there's almost half left as of Sunday. Correct. Correct. Um, and we should point out uh, with any latency between now and when this airs, we are speaking on May the 5th. So we're referring to Sunday the, the 3rd. Yep. So, so Chris, between the EIDL and the PPP, there's, there's some nuance in terms of what, what is a grant, what is a loan, what is a forgivable loan? Can, can you walk us through you know, those two programs and, and just how they work structurally and, and what uh, a law firm might expect to be uh, something that needs to be repaid from these programs and what is a, a straight up grant that does it need to be repaid? Sure. Um, so we'll start. We'll start with the the EIDL. The, the this is the one that's straight from the SBA. And again, if you kind of recall, that's that's kind of think about the natural disaster scenario of yep. 
of the, the uh, assistance that's being given. So in the EIDL program, you can apply for up to a $2 million loan that uh, would need to be repaid over a period of a couple of years. Uh, the, um, the most often, what we're seeing the most often in our clients is they are applying for the first part of that EIDL, which is up to a $10,000 grant. So they aren't really going for the loan part of that. They are getting grant money that comes in pretty quickly within, usually within a week or two. And that money does not have to be repaid. And it's not really tied to payroll. Is, is that the, the grant that's $1,000 per employee up to $10,000? Correct. Okay. Correct. So a law firm could look at their, the number of employees they have essentially, and they would apply th that to their, yes. the size of the grant they would receive. And in order to do that, you go onto the SBA website. Um, it's a very straightforward thing. There probably are a dozen or so check boxes about, you know, describing your situation and various statements about your need. Uh, you fill in information about the, the business, the company itself, the ownership, uh, and you provide a, a routing and bank account number. And the SBA takes that and then figures out the, the grant amount and moves that money into your bank account. And, so, and you said that happens within a week or two. That's pretty fast. That's pretty fast. I think on the website, they actually say within 36 hours, what we've seen is it's, you know, a week or two, but 36 government hours. There you go. They didn't say which 36, I suppose. Maybe that's <laughs> and, and is, is the application for the loan uh, one in the same, or is the loan a separate uh, application if you're going for the EIDL loan? For the EIDL loan, there is a follow-on step, and I have not really gone through that step with anybody, okay. so I'm not sure what all is involved in that, but it is a second, it's a kind of a second chapter to that. Okay, um, and, and curious, what do you see in terms of the success rates on the EIDL, um, you know, in terms of law firms being able to show that economic hardship and then receive that that grant up to ten thousand uh, dollars you know I, the, the only data points i really have are from from our client base but i i think our our numbers on there are running maybe more like 40 percent okay um what i what i'm not sure about though is how many apply you know right. there are a lot of people who were kind of questioning oh do i really you know does that really count for me? Should I do both? Or I did the PPP, so I'm not sure I should go back and do the other one. So it, it's like the, it seems like most of the people who applied are getting it, but I'm really, I don't really have any good hard numbers on that one. Sure. Fair enough. Uh, in, in the folks that are getting it, do you have a sense for, hey, here's a, a line that helped push them over in terms of qualifying for the, uh, the grant versus, versus not? Not in terms of any specific wording or anything. I think really the, you know, the, there's a statement of, um, you know, it, I, I'm not even sure if, it, if, if it's more than a checkbox about like you're, a, you're making an attestation that, uh, you know, I am in economic distress because of this emergency, uh, because of this disaster, and, you know, please help. Right. Um. Great. So let's let's move on to talk about the the PPP then. Uh, tell us a little bit about the structural aspects of the PPP. It's a a loan that that can be forgiven if you if you meet certain qualification qualification criteria. Yep. 
So um, the, way, the way the PPP works is uh, when you apply, you are uh, doing some calculations, looking backwards at the last year or so of your payroll. And there are a few different time periods you can choose between, but think of it as going back a year. Okay. And you get your average monthly payroll expense. And that includes things like if you match a 401k or if you provide health care to your employees, uh, you're, you're part of the premium for that, as well as their, their gross pay. Mm -hmm. So you take that number, that average monthly number, and you multiply it by two and a half, and that becomes your loan amount. So it's basically, if you think about it, that's 10 weeks of payroll okay. is the amount of your loan. Uh, you have, once you get that money, you have eight weeks in which to spend it. So inside of that eight weeks, you need to continue to pay people, but then you can also include a couple of other items that are forgivable. And those are your rent, uh, your utilities, uh, if you have uh, debt service, like if you have a mortgage instead of rent, you can count the interest on that mortgage since you aren't okay. really paying rent in that case. Uh, so there are a few things like that in addition to that expanded kind of payroll definition that you need to take care of in eight in those eight weeks. So you've got 10 weeks worth of money and then, you know, you've got eight weeks worth of payroll plus the rent and those other things. And it kind of sort of ties to that. So it kind of drives you to that same uh, dollar amount. Once and those eight, once those eight weeks are up, then yeah. you can go back to your bank and say, Dear bank, you loaned me this money. I did what you asked. You know, I did what the program asked. I kept my employees paid. I kept my doors open. Would you please forgive this loan? And you provide them with the documentation that they would need to show that you really complied. Okay, you, a couple of detail-oriented questions just on what you've sure. outlined to this point, Chris. If you do, you need to keep a hundred percent of your payroll on on board or how does it work if you may want a partial want to make a partial reduction in force uh, but sure. you want to keep for example the majority of your folks on board so so there are kind of three areas of testing if you will to see if you have complied uh, the the first one is it's a payroll program so out of that money 75 percent or more of it has to be spent on payroll so you okay. can't have just a little bit of payroll and then a whole bunch of rent, for instance, and call that good. So 75% okay. of, the, of the funds have to go towards payroll. If they do, then the rest of the funds can go towards those other approved expenses. So, okay. so that's, that's the first test. Got it. Um, the second test is a full-time equivalent employee test. So over the course of the eight weeks, you have to be tracking your full-time the number of full-time equivalent employees you have, and you compare that number to one of a couple of look-back periods to say, well, for instance, January and February of this year is one of the periods. I had 10 employees on average through January and February. Do I have 10 employees on average for the period of that eight-week spending period? If you do, you're good to go. If you had that partial reduction type of a thing, so I've only got eight, now, well, then you would only be eligible to be 80% of that money forgiven. Okay. And, and is that just straight that prorated yep. then? Okay. 
here's here's one thing I say I say yes very confidently. Here's here's the big thing about the payroll protection program right now is you know there was a lot of a lot of startup and a lot of you know clarifications that were coming rapid fire out of the SBA during the kind of application process and the startup. And you know, right now there haven't been a lot of clarifications about the forgiveness side of life. And everybody's anticipating those are going to be coming out in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but like all, you know, like all laws, all programs of this size, it gets written up, it gets put in place. And then, you know, the questions start rolling in, you know, what about this and what about that? And, right. And there's, there's clarity that is needed. The, um, the American Institute of CPAs, the AICPA has got a, a list of such questions where they said, oh, what about this situation? And what about that? You know, we're going to need help here. And those are going to come. And so I'm sure that, you know, what we're saying today and what we're hearing and, and reading today is going to get refined. I don't think the structural part of it's going to change, but when you get right. down into the into the weeds, there are definitely going to be some things. So this, um, before this, we, let, me, uh, let me go back to one ahead. other one other thing is there there were three criteria about or three uh, tests about this. So we had the seventy five percent test, we had the the full time employee test. There is also a test for salary reductions. Okay. So if any if any individual had more than a twenty five percent reduction in pay then that also is going to play into that forgiveness quotient. Okay. Uh, in, in all the cases, everything is pointing towards, this is not a binary situation. It's not like you make the grade and get forgiveness or you don't and you don't get forgiveness. It, it, everything is, is reading like it's a percentage game and you know, you've got this, pack, this pile of money, you've spent it in the way that the weeks unfolded, and so it's going to be forgiven. This percentage of it will be forgiven. The remaining percentage, remember, is a loan. This whole thing was the PPP loan that you took right. out. Right. So that loan is got a two-year term at a 1% interest rate. So for a lot of people, you know, even if they weren't, you know, if, if they were, if they had pay force uh, or, or workforce reductions, you know, think about a restaurant. I mean, we're in the legal world, and so it's not quite the same. Think about a restaurant or a bar, and you know, they were closed. Their yeah. their their staff is largely gone. Or you know, a restaurant might still have a couple people doing curbside service. So you know, they don't have a lot. They may not have a lot of levers to pull to say, "I used to have thirty people. You know, now I got six. You know, they can't go hire twenty-four people magically to do nothing. Right. Um, so. You know, in those kind of cases, it's not the end of the world if it's not forgiven. It still could be a very valuable asset to your company. Uh, you know, you've got uh, a, a loan at 1% for two years when you don't know what the fall is going to hold and what the, you know, when the courts are going to open and all those kind of things. That's not necessarily a bad thing if it's not forgiven. Yeah, well, this is, it sounds like you've clarified, it, I think, so many important points about the program. And I do think there are uh, many folks that believe that it is a binary system and that you do need to meet those criteria uh, in a really black and white kind of kind of way. But the way you've articulated the, the way the program works, it, it really sounds like a, almost a no regrets kind of thing for, for most 
law firms, if you are confident you're going to continue operating beyond the the pandemic and you want to create that bridge for your your staff, this this sounds like uh, a, an amazing program that in the worst case scenario, you get partially forgiven and what is not forgiven is is one of the the best loans you could hope for in terms of the repayment period and the interest rate. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I was talking with one of our clients um, within the last week or so who, who doesn't have a line of credit associated with their business. You know, they've got their regular operating account and, and all of that type of stuff. Uh, and as we kind of put together the, the kind of forecasting of here's what the payroll situation's like, here's what your loan is. Um, you know, she, she was going to end up with, I think forty or fifty thousand dollars that wasn't going to be able to be repaid because she's lost some staff, and you know we started talking about it, and she's like, you know, that's going to be in effect, that's going to become my line of credit because right. I can I can keep that money on hand and pay one percent interest on it, and even if even if I just keep it till the end of the year, uh, it'll be there if I need it in the fall, and you know I'm I'm going to pay a few hundred dollars for that you know, to be able to do that. If I don't need it, I'll just pay it back to the bank and, and you know, kind of we walk away and, and we're done and everybody's happy and, and, you know, we've emerged into the new, the new chapter. That's right. And, and, and by the way, you're getting this, this loan with very little scrutiny really at a time where getting any other kind of loan secured or otherwise is going to be way more difficult than it was pre-COVID-19. Yep, that's a that's a great point. These are these are uh, these are not collateralized. That you know, you're not you're not putting your house on the line or your your business on the line. Um, you know the the SBA is backing it, uh, so the banks are covered, and um, and really particularly in our kind of sized world, um, I'm not going to say there is not scrutiny because they are going to be looking at these things. Uh, where you're seeing headlines about that, though, they're talking about those big loans. They're talking about the $2 million and up loans that, you know, are going to get a lot of scrutiny. And, right. and they're going to really be looked at to say, was that really a necessity? When you're talking about a small law office in the uncertainty of the times and, and a, you know, a $50,000 um, PPP loan, I don't think there's, uh, I don't think there are going to be a lot of people who would dispute that it was an appropriate uh, yeah, I, I, I think this is where most Americans feel like the the funds should be should be going, yeah. not to the the shake shacks of the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Chris, you know, not to put words in your mouth, but is it fair to say that if you're a small law firm, you you should be applying for the PPP almost on a um, an absolute basis, or are there exceptions where you believe that that law firms would not want to apply for this program? Um, well, I mean, I think the whole program is, I mean, it, it is really based around, is there a need? So if, if you're in a situation where, you know, you are so well capitalized that you just, there is no chance that you mm -hmm. need this money, then probably leave that for somebody else who's, who's, you know, struggling to, to keep people on board and make payroll. Right. Um, I think, you know, I think in general, I think you said it well, and, and uh, you know most of the people, mo most of the firms that I know of, at least in this, you know, kind of size range, um, you know, are not sitting on you know millions and millions of dollars in their right. operating account and going to sail through without problem. 
you know, well, especially when you think about almost the the structural way that most law firms pay out uh, retained earnings at the end of every year and kind of start from zero in a lot of ways at the beginning of every fiscal year. To, to your point, yep. there's there's a lot of firms that have one or maybe two months of runway, and it feels like the the forward thinking firms maybe have three months of runway, and that's about where things max out, and you don't have VC style investment, for example, in in law firms uh, because of the ownership related uh, rules for law firms. So it feels like maybe more than most businesses, most law firms fall into the the sweet spot for what this PPP yep. is is targeting from a support standpoint. Yeah, and there, there's there's uh, you know there's commentary from uh, from some of the government officials, and I'm struggling for a name here. But you know there wasn't a requirement that you reinvest your personal money in order to see your firm through, and that was like the that was the strategy for uh, how to how to work your way through that. If the firm you know if the firm's got money, if the firm has access to capital, that's one thing. Uh, and certainly, like where you're seeing the the venture capital backed firms or the hedge fund owned firms, not mostly not law firms, but you know the companies that are owned by a hedge fund, they've got the capital available to them. Uh, right. If you're talking about you know uh, a small group of partners running a law firm, there's nothing that says that you know they should be going and taking a mortgage out on their house just so they can put money back into the business that, and, right. and avoid taking the PPP. That's that's. That's not what was intended by any of this. So Chris, you've done a phenomenal job of walking us through, you know, many of the, the, the important aspects of these programs and some of the, some of the provisos to be aware of if you, if you are applying for them. Uh, are, are there any questions that you're hearing from your clients about these programs that we haven't touched on to this point? Um, you know, I think really in, in terms of the structure of them, not so much. I think maybe right now the one question that, that we do hear is, you know, is it too late? I didn't apply yet. What should yep. I do? And, and I think we've covered that. I mean, right as of right now, today when we're speaking, I would be seeking out, um, if, if you're with a big bank, I would probably be seeking out a community bank or a, or a local credit union or, you know, one of those types of lenders. Uh, we seem to be getting a lot better uh, success rate with them for small firms uh, because when you're with the Bank of America and you're a small law firm, you're probably not a significant blip on their radar screen. But uh, gosh, you know, just like we're all, we're, we're all small community businesses. If you could take your business to a small community bank, what better way to, you know, kind of right. uh, pay it forward as they are helping you, you know, keep the doors open and get one of these loans. Uh, and they've been, they've been very successful in, uh, in delivering for people. So that's probably the biggest question. Um, there's all kinds of, you know, in the weeds accounting, can I count this and can I count that? Uh, the, the biggest thing that we're, you know, advising people is, you know, we, we've got some tracking spreadsheets set up and it's just like, let's just make sure we're capturing the stuff, make sure it's organized. It's like, it's just like you prepare for one of your cases, you know, you got to you got to put the stuff together so that it tells the story, so that it's all concise and easy to understand. And when we go to talk to the bank about forgiveness, we've got the packet all put together, right. hand in the binder, and say, you know, 
here it is, any questions? And the answer is gonna be, no, nope, we, we see that you've done the work and we see that you followed the rules and you can you know, work through the, the mechanics of the forgiveness process, whatever that turns out to look like with each bank. Excellent. So the, if you have not applied for these programs, money's still available, get, get to it if you need the funds. Yep, yep. Uh, super, super useful download on, on all of these, uh, these programs and, and all the nuance around how they work, Chris. Really appreciate that. Maybe to, to wrap up our conversation, a couple of questions to close. Outside of these stimulus options, you, you work with, with law firms, you know, you've worked with law firms for years and you're dealing with them obviously in this, this point of acute crisis, but uh, you've, you've got a, a breadth of experience over many years in terms of helping law firms manage their financials and how to be profitable and manage cash flow and um, everything else that, that you need to do to run a thriving business. Um, do you have any advice, uh, like I said, above and beyond these, these stimulus options in terms of how to manage, uh, the financial aspect of your firm to, to get to the other side of this crisis? Um, wow. That's a great question. Uh, let me think <laughs> about that for a second. Um, well, you know, I think really the, it's, getting the other side of this crisis is not going to be significant. It's the same things that we do to run a profitable law firm or to, to, to keep things moving forward right. in, in the normal times. So, I mean, it's, it's really kind of basic blocking and tackling. It's, it's, you know, do you have a budget? Are you following that budget? Are you watching, are you watching the details about what's really going out the door? You know, we get so busy with so many things we're doing that it's it's surprising how many times, uh, you know, as a firm grows, the chaos ensues, and all of a sudden one day the partner wakes up and they start looking at back at some details and they go like, what do you mean we spent all this money on that? It's like now's the time to not accidentally fall down that hole. Uh, right. Make sure you're really doing the basics uh, well. Um, if you're a firm that uh that works on retainers get the retainers topped up make sure that make sure that you've got money in that trust account to pay your invoices when it's time to do the billing yeah don't, hugely don't important let them point. run out man that's that's like uh again see that a lot with with the successful firms we we do billing for people right so we we're actually the ones who are in clio creating the invoice applying the trust funds doing all those things and, you know, for some of our firms, it's like billing day is payday because yeah. you're running the bills and you're applying the trust money and you're making the transfer and that account's solid. Yeah. Uh, if you don't do that, then billing day is just kind of another day. And, you know, you're sending them out and you're waiting for clients to hopefully, uh, you know, send you some money. And by the way, those clients are facing all the same challenges that you are right now. So, you know, I'd say... Make sure if you're if you're in the in the type of practice that lets you do that, make sure you're looking at your trust funds and getting them topped up. Yeah, uh, a great pro tip I've I've reiterated a couple of times on this podcast came from Erin Levine, I, I think in our second episode, and she commented on the fact she's seen a lot of success asking for clients to top up their retainers uh, e even in advance of them being fully exhausted and. 
I think if you've got a good relationship with your clients, there's a lot of goodwill there in many cases, and they'll, they'll happily do that. And, and that can do so much to help you from a cash flow perspective. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Chris, this has been uh, an enormously useful discussion. Uh, I'd love to follow up with you uh, downstream and we can assess what the latest state of these programs and potentially new programs are in a, in a future episode, if you'd be up for it. I'd love to. And uh, to, to wrap up, um, would love to hear a, a message from you that you might want to leave to our, our listeners, a parting thought. Um, you know, I think for me, it is uh, get into the other guy's shoes, just especially now. You know, we've got such a crazy wide range of experiences going on over the last month or two. And, you know, I live in the Midwest in a suburb and, uh, you know, we've been uh, blessed to not be particularly affected by this. It's been a huge you know, inconvenience in our lives and all that stuff, yeah. but we haven't lost anybody. And, and you know, we've, it's, it's been a different experience than the ones I see on TV of somebody in New York City. And so... Um, that doesn't yeah, you've got a bit more integrated social distancing there. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you know, it's like, it, just, just uh, let everybody make their own choices about what they're doing. Don't try and make them wrong. Don't try and make yours right. Just, you know, live, live your life and do the best that you can and let the, let the other folks do their thing too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I think empathy is, is more important today than, uh, than ever. So a, a great, a great note to, to end on. Well, thank you again, Chris. Uh, this has just been a, a fire hose of useful information. Really appreciate you taking the time uh, and we'll talk again soon. Fantastic. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on Daily Matters today, a podcast from Clio. Rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Daily Matters is produced by Andrew Booth, Sam Rosenthal, and Derek Bolin and hosted by yours truly, Jack Newton. Thanks also to Clio, the world's leading cloud-based legal technology provider, for supporting this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Clio, please visit clio.com. 